This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Welcome to the Candid Life podcast, where we turn our broken hallelujahs into melody lines of impact. And I am your host, Lydia Gago. Today, the question for our discussion is, what do you do when your life turns a page? And you know, family, as I pondered that question this morning, I was reminded by something my sister said to me when I was going through an unexpected life event a couple of years ago. She said, sometimes we don't choose the path. The path chooses us. You know, I've never heard that said like that before. But again, I couldn't help but also call to mind some thoughts by Charles Swindle. And he said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. Mm -mm -mm. Those are sobering words to think about. Today, I'm privileged to have on this podcast, Bruce and Deb Potts. I met this wonderful couple at our recent Toastmasters meeting in Rochester. I was deeply touched by this story and wanted you, my Candid Life family, to listen, share, and learn from their experience. So welcome, Bruce and Deb, to The Candid Life. Thank you. It's uh, like an honor to be here. Yes. Thank you so much, Lydia. We really enjoyed meeting you and we enjoyed telling our story. Thank you so much. But before we get into the discussion, what do you do when your life turns a page? I wanted to mention that every good story has three elements. You have characters, you have conflict, you have resolution. And that is how I plan on approaching this podcast. And so let's go to the first part, which is the characters. It says every good story has main characters. And today, Deb and Bruce are the main characters of this powerful story. So I would like you to just introduce yourselves briefly to our listeners, and then we'll go on from there. Okay, thanks a lot. So uh, we met in college in 1972. That was almost 50 years ago. And then in 1976, we charged off into marriage, naively thinking that we were in the driver's seat. By God's grace, he called us to follow him after 18 years of doing it our own way. We are the proud parents of two grown kids. They're married and the most amazing two grandkids ever born. <laughs> we are living in act two, which is we, what we call retirement. But we love the word act two because that's where all the redemption and the resolution and especially the good ending happens. Since 2006, I've been a Christian speaker. And along the way, I wrote two books. Uh, Making Peace with Prickly People is the first, and then I wrote a devotional called Mindful. And I have an undergraduate degree in industrial administration and an MBA from Wharton. I worked for 47 years in technology and startup companies, primarily in the field of robotics, 
And then as we said, we, we retired, that was 2019. So together now we're leading the marriage mentor team at Orion, Michigan. It's a campus of Kensington Church. And there we train other mentors, we serve couples in crisis, and we nurture a space where marriages can thrive in community. That's great. That's wonderful. You said you were in robotics. And remind yes. me again, Debs, where were you? What was your area? I, I stayed home. I worked for GM for a little while, but I stayed home and raised my kids. And then in 2006, when they were both out of high school, I started speaking through Stonecroft Ministries and um, started teaching and, and speaking. Hmm. What, what motivated you to actually go down that path of speaking? You know, it's interesting because it's not something I ever would have chosen from the time mm -hmm. I was a child. I wanted to be a writer mm -hmm. and I did write a lot, but I didn't publish anything because most of it wasn't publishable. Mm -hmm. But after coming to Christ, after 18 years of marriage, people started hearing my story and they started saying, you need to be telling your story. And so I needed a lot of people to tell me that I needed some, a kick in the behind to get going. But once I started telling the story, I realized that is exactly what God was calling me to do. I mean, sometimes in life, we just need enough voices <laughs> of positivity to get us onto the right track. I'm curious. So how did you actually meet before you got married? Just really yeah. briefly. Yeah. So um, I told you I did want to be a writer from the time I was 12. But wow. mm -hmm. um, I learned about a co-op school in the middle of Michigan. It was called GMI at the time, Kettering University now. And my parents said, well, if you go there, we'll buy you a car. Because it was a co-op school and I could pay for my tuition. And so I sold out on my dream of being a writer for a 69 used Nova. What? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. And I, so Bruce and I met in calculus class which is why we always told our kids, math can be very romantic. Ooh, <laughs> I love that. One plus one. <laughs> Go figure, right? Go figure. Oh, that's great. So what was it about Bruce? <laughs> oh, he was very smart and he knew what he wanted and he knew how to get it. He's very goal oriented. Mm -hmm. And I think that attracted me, even though I wouldn't have said that at the time, but now knowing more about personalities, um, he is totally my opposite in every possible way. And I think we're drawn to our opposites. And what about you, Bruce? You know, we, again, we met in, in calculus. And so part of the draw was I liked her um, physically. She was very pretty, still is very pretty. And that was the initial draw. But I played into finding her and, and sort of dating her by pretending that I didn't understand calculus. And so I needed some tutoring from her to help that. <laughs> and uh, I think she's told me now that she knew I understood it because I never stayed long with my questions. I would ask one question, get the answer, and then go back and uh, kind of come later after that. But I think what I most appreciated was her laugh, for one thing, and her just uh, ability to be joyful in a lot of situations and not get too bogged down in the work and the grind of getting through school. I like that. You were very strategic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended, right? Thank you for sharing that and introducing yourselves to the family. In every good story, we have a conflict or a challenge. And I know yours was a pretty remarkable one because it became a matter of life and death. 
in your situation. Could you just maybe share with us what happened? So I had been having headaches for about a three month period and they were just getting worse and worse and we couldn't find the medical answer to it. And finally, um, one doctor, not my normal one, suggested that I get an MRI. And in the middle of that MRI, uh, they asked if I had fallen and hit my head and I hadn't, but I knew that that's not a normal question for them to ask in the middle of an MRI. When they finished it, they told me I couldn't leave until I met with the head of radiology and he told me I couldn't drive to the hospital. I could see the hospital from there, but I couldn't drive to it. So I had to have Debbie come and take me to the ER. And um, then after various diagnoses, they determined that it was a subdural hematoma, which is really like a big bruise or a collection of blood on your brain, but it was about the size of my hand and it was about one inch thick and it was pushing my brain in one direction. So I got this call when he went in for the MRI because uh, he drove himself and he said, come and pick me up. I have to go to the ER. <laughs> like what? So I picked him up, drove to the ER. We drove underneath the portico and nobody came out. So I started getting out of my car and all of a sudden this burly guard came out of the door and said, get back in your car, shut the door. <laughs> I wasn't aware that COVID was so real. You know, we had heard the reports on the TV about China and some things about Washington State, but this was real. And so a nurse came out with the guard. They had Bruce roll down the window about three inches and tell his story. They took him into the ER and they said, you, you can't come in, go sit in the waiting in the parking lot. Goodbye. And there he goes. And I am sitting there in the parking lot wondering what's happening. I know there's blood in his brain cavity somewhere. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what the name of it was. So I sat there waiting for the doctor to call me and had no idea we were setting up for 30 days of absolute nightmare. Hmm. Was that in 2020? When was yeah, that? it was. It was March 20th of 2020. Wow. And at that point in time, there had been no COVID deaths in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And um, the governor hadn't had just declared that the hospitals had to sort of close their doors to outsiders, which is why we didn't know what we were about to face when we got there. That is frightening, especially when you know you have a loved one in hospital and you have no access to them. So what did you do? I called my daughter. So she came and sat in the car with me. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't even have masks then. <laughs> we didn't know. We were supposed to be wearing masks, but I waited for the ER doc to call and tell me, you know, he was possibly having brain surgery the next day and that the neurosurgeon would call me. He explained a little bit about what was going on. And he said, you can go home now. And so I had to go home. I spent days sitting by the phone waiting for Bruce to call. Fortunately, before he got out of the car, I grabbed my charger and gave it to him so that he had a phone charger that worked for a little while until he got moved to a new room and they lost it. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I um, immediately just went to prayer. I mean, I was texting people, they were praying for me. We, we have a whole circle of friends from our church that I knew would be faithful and praying for me during that time as we sat and waited 
to know what was going to happen next. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Deb. And what about you, Bruce? You were there in the hospital. Deb, it's not there with you. You have no family. It's just you and the Lord (laughs) and the hospital staff. I mean, what was going through your mind? You know, it's, it's funny. When you have headaches as bad as I had for three months, your mind goes to a lot of places as to what the cause might be. And so my brain kept going to the place of brain cancer. And so actually finding out that I had this massive hematoma was good news to me by comparison to what I had let my thoughts go to. But you get over that quickly and then you just seriously want to get it done. You want to get out of there. I think since we had been retired at that point, I don't think we've spent that many days or hours apart from one another. And so that was kind of a a hard thing to take. And then there's boredom because... Things don't move so fast in a hospital. Before they want to do surgery on you, they want to understand that that's their best and only option. So lots of tests back and forth. Fortunately, they found ways to get the pain handled, but handling the pain also meant that my awareness would drop off quite a bit and I would sleep quite a bit. So it was kind of a a period between understanding what's going on and being frustrated that it's taking too long or not understanding anything and being asleep and really not even under aware of what was going on. Hmm. Lots to think about. Lots to think about. But family, there is good news on the way. There is good news on the way. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to look at the resolution, the things that happened, the turning points in the story. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Don't leave. Welcome back. And if you are joining us, this is the Candid Life podcast. And I am your host, Lydia Gargo. Today, our topic, what do you do when your life turns a page? And I'm privileged to have Bruce and Deb Potts sharing their life story with us. Well, I am listening to everything you've shared so far. And my mind is just churning with with thoughts of how overwhelming the whole situation would be for you outside the hospital and then you had Bruce in the hospital (laughs) with everything else going on were you able to connect with Bruce at any point of these 30 days uh yes at times we were able to he had my phone charger and he had his phone but the ICUs were getting filled up by COVID. And so he was put in an ICU and a few days later he was moved to another one because they needed another ICU for COVID. And then he was moved again. And finally he was moved into a makeshift ICU because they had no ICUs left. And each time they moved him, they would lose his phone charge. (laughs) And then as he progressed, he had the first surgery And then after he had the second surgery, he was really out of it and he couldn't remember how to make a call. There were days that I wasn't able to speak to him at all. He um, also through the, the two surgeries following the second one, he went through uncontrollable seizures, loss of the ability to speak, move his right side, and he was on a ventilator. So there were long periods of time when I could not connect with him directly. I could call him, but he never answered. I don't know if he was asleep. Of course, you don't know what's happening on the other side. 
But we had these amazing nurses and the physician's assistants for our doctor, and even our doctor himself, who would use their own cell phone and FaceTime so I could see Bruce, including when he was on the ventilator. We had a call with us and the kids to see Bruce and to encourage him. It was difficult going through those days without any communication with him. And I'm all alone in the house. I, you know, because of COVID, my daughter's a nurse and she didn't want to get near me. You know, we would meet on the porch six feet apart with masks on. I couldn't hug anybody through that whole time, but it was a precious time for me in one respect because I was so close to God. And I could feel his presence. And I knew, you know, I was totally not in control of anything, but I allowed him to be in control most of the time. Sometimes I was was on the couch in a fetal position, Mm, but but then I would remember, oh, I don't have to succumb to this. He promises that he has overcome the world and Mm. I can have peace in him. And so it was a up and down, like roller coaster. It was every day. You never knew what you were going to hear. Our doctor was calling me every day. And he's an amazing Christian praying for us. His whole family was praying for us. There were just so many points where I could see God's intervention in this carrying me along, even when I couldn't talk to Bruce. Was there a particular scripture that really was pivotal for you during this time? Well, I was going to say 2 Timothy, I think it's 1-7 or 1 Timothy 1-7. I can't remember now. God did not give you a spirit of timidity, Mm. but of power and love and self-control. And the other one was? James 1. James 1. 2-4. Yeah. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that one was more helpful to me because at the times that I was lucid, I thought, okay, what's God trying to tell me and what would he like me to do? And it wasn't too long before it came, came to be very clear that the nurses and the doctors and the whole system in the hospital was really strained at that time. And many of them were fearful because they knew COVID was right around the corner and they weren't sure if it was going to affect them or if it's going to have to work in the COVID ward. So when I could, I would ask them, how could I pray for them? And it just changed their whole countenance when you saw them. And I I don't think they expected that a person there for brain surgery would ask how they could pray for them to help them. Yeah, I kind of chimed in with that and Bruce would tell me the request and I had a big sheet of paper with all the names that I would keep praying. And then when I called, you know, talked to the nurses, I would ask them, how can I pray for you? So that kind of became a ministry for us. That is very powerful to hear that even in the midst of that challenging situation, your eyes were open to the needs of the people around you. And I think in a way that redirected your focus, isn't it? And actually ushered in a lot more positive emotions for you because you realize then you're not powerless. You are powerful Mm -hmm. because you're trusting God and you're reaching out to others. Well, back to those three ingredients, it says every good story has a resolution. So I wanted you to just share a little bit about, you know, what happened in the hospital how things came about in terms of your recovery. Just fill us in on some of those gaps there. Mm -hmm. 
So one of the three things we talked about was number one was be still and listen. Mm -hmm. And um, so in a hospital, you have a lot of opportunity to be still. And as I mentioned, part of the listen was that I thought I needed to ask others how they were handling the, the COVID situation. So that was one piece of it, which was very helpful. And then another piece was my neurosurgeon would always, when he would see me, no matter what the circumstances were or the conditions, he would say, I have seen this before and I know that this will resolve. And so I had an authority who knows a lot more about brains than I do, telling me with confidence that he knew it would resolve. And I knew that he was also a man of God. So that was reassurance for me all the way through it. Mm -hmm. What about you, Deb? So talking about listening to hear that inner voice, that voice of God, there was one point that it just brought back to me when Bruce was talking, they were getting ready to do the second surgery. And he was losing the ability to speak. He, his fevers were spiking. They didn't know what was happening. Um, his right arm was getting weak. And so they decided, well, tomorrow morning, we're gonna do surgery. And the next morning came and the doctor showed up in Bruce's room and he was pretty much unresponsive. He would only open his eyes briefly if they said his name. He wasn't even capable of signing the, the um, permission to do surgery. And so they called me and took it over the phone verbally from me to give permission. And I knew that um, he was in deep trouble. The doctor said to me, he's neurologically speaking, he, he's not good. And they hung up and I knew they were ready, you know, heading into surgery and I just lost it. I mean, I was bereft. I didn't know what was going on. I had no control. I couldn't be there. And in the middle of my pity party and my sobbing, my phone rang. And so I looked at it and it was the doctor's cell phone. And so I kind of wiped my tears and <laughs> called my voice and I said, hello, and nothing. And then I said, hello. And I realized in that instant that God had instantly answered my prayer because as I was crying and sobbing, I was praying, God, help me. I mm. need you. Like I've never needed you before. Bruce needs you. And I get this butt call from my doctor. I am not kidding you. He had somehow set his phone down and recalled me, but he didn't know. And so I could hear his voice in the background moving around is getting louder, quieter. There was another woman and her voice was getting louder and quieter. And I could tell they were doing something, probably getting ready for the surgery. And I was listening to the voices and I realized they were very calm. They were very matter of fact. I couldn't really even tell what they were saying specifically, but it calmed my spirit right down. I stopped crying instantly. And I realized that this was, it was a butt call from God. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really funny, but it was an instant answer to prayer. That's amazing. God is there mm -hmm. with me. Mm -hmm. And he allowed this call to go. And finally, I'm thinking, what if I get to listen to the whole surgery? <laughs> like I'm right in oh the room. <laughs> but the, that didn't happen. The doctor figured it out. He, <laughs> and he goes, hello? And I said, you butt called me. He goes, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I said, don't be sorry. This was a God thing for sure. Amen. Yeah. So when my first point was be still and listen, then Debbie's was take the next best step. And that was what she was doing was praying and, and asking for confidence and something that would calm her 
her fears and she yeah. got a, an instant answer for that. It's so cool. Just gives me goosebumps. I love that story because, you know, people say, oh, God never answers prayer. He is so interested in the fine details of our lives. He says, when we call on him, he will answer. That is the promise that we have, that when we call on him, he will answer and show us great and mighty things that we have not seen. And that's exactly what he did for you that day. What is the third thing? <laughs> well, the third thing, uh, we put in the terms of mix a batch of lemonade because we love that analogy that when uh, life gives you lemons, you make lemonade out of them. Mm -hmm. So after I got through rehab far enough to get home and got through all the IV antibiotics and other things at home, we had a chance to take a break and get away from it all. And I had a chance to see Debbie's journals and understand what she was going through. And she asked me to document what I was going through. And at the end of that little break, we just came to the conclusion that we needed to write a book, a novel. Uh, about this. We didn't feel that it would be right to write an autobiography because frankly, we didn't feel that enough people would read it and see the story and understand the miracles that came from it. But since we are marriage mentors, we decided to write it about marriage mentors who had a love that was on life support. So it wasn't just the medical, they were in a bad place in their marriage, like we've seen among numerous um, marriages that we've tried to help. So we gave the fictional couple that backstory, and then they go through this medical challenge. And through both prayer and turning more to God than they had ever before, and the help of friends and community, they get to the medical conclusion that we did as well, but they also have their marriage saved in the process. That's great. So sort of like when our page got turned, we decided to write a page turn. I love that. I love the play on words there, but it's true. What do you want to say, Deb? Well, we just, um, we felt like it was our duty to honor God with the story. We love story. And I love that you picked that theme for this podcast because we had to learn how to write story. <laughs> we, we were not fiction writers. And so we did a lot of research and had a coach to help us craft the story so that it's engaging and um, holds the attention of the audience, but really tells the story in the best possible way so that we can honor God through that and also honor marriage mentoring because mm -hmm. this couple has marriage mentors that kind of guide them from the background. They're not the major characters in the book, but when you're a marriage mentor, you're not the major character in the story either. It's mm -hmm. all about the mentees and their story and their marriage. And so, um, we hope it's a page turner. <laughs> well, <laughs> you definitely now. have me engaged over here and I haven't <laughs> read the book yet, right? I haven't read the book, but I, I, it's just so compelling. I mean, I mean, we thank God, obviously, for the miracle of your lives, the miracle of, you know, you coming through this thank you. Uh, situation. Thank you. So that right there is a praise. But being able to take your life experience and put it in the form of a book, which is also going to touch the lives of others. You know, you continue to allow God to use your lives to make an impact on the lives of those around you. Family, oh, so much information to take in. So before we move on to the next section with that one question that I have to ask Bruce and Debbie, let's go ahead and take a quick break. We'll be back. Mm -hmm. 
Welcome back to the Candid Life Podcast, and I am your host, Lydia Gago. Today, we have just, oh my goodness, it's truly been a roller coaster ride, just listening to Deb and Bruce's story. But the thread running through the whole story is the faithfulness of God. You know, we have a God who is so faithful. We have a God who is ever-present in our time of need, like it says in Psalm 46. And I mean, this time I decided to do the podcast slightly differently, looking at um, the key ingredients of the story. We looked at the characters, the conflict or the challenge, and the resolution. And knowing that uh, Bruce and Deb have a page turner is even more exciting. Because what do you do when your life turns a page? They write a page turner, okay? (laughs) That's how it worked out for them. But um, as they have gone through this um, whole process, I I really believe it feels like life is beginning again. You are in this new lease of life. You are in this new adventure with this book coming out soon. For you, what does it mean to live the candid life in the light of everything you've gone through and how God is projecting you forward into this new season? Let's give it to uh, Bruce, first of all. Okay. Um, I think one thing that we learned as marriage mentors is that we're better able to help people if we can be open and candid with them. As we tell stories about ourselves that are sometimes embarrassing and troublesome, then they feel like they're not the only one that's having trouble. And they respond positively to that. They don't do it like in the moment, but we can see that they're, they're better able to change if they realize that they have a good base to start from. They're not the worst people in the room. Other people have had similar challenges. So I think that humility, um, which is probably a very similar term to candid, and that kind of being candid in our life has just made a difference. And that's, that's why in this story, I, you know, I don't feel bad about some of the things that happened in the story that are re- relatively embarrassing for me personally, what, what some of the things that I went through, but I won't feel bad about it because maybe people will read to the next page because they think this is genuine. It's real. Mm-hmm. That's good. What about you, Debs? What does it mean yeah. to live a candid life? I totally agree. I was thinking exactly the same thing and how important it is to be candid with your mentees or with anybody really about your brokenness. You know, so many times we want to just pretend we're perfect, but that's not going to help anyone because they can't relate to us. But also um, being candid with God and being open Mm -hmm. and weeping and, and letting him know that I am broken and I need, I need you, God. I mean, he, he loves humility. That's, that's his modus operandi, right? So, um, so when we're ho- open and humble with him, the answers just flow. It just comes from him. Thank you so much, Deb and Bruce, for coming on The Candid Life and just sharing your story and really being heartfelt about what you went through. You know, and like you said very powerfully, it's only when we are open, when we are vulnerable, that people can relate to our story and see how God has been gracious enough to bring us through in strength. And that's how they can draw strength as well in their own lives. Well, I look forward to the release of your book 
And I'm hoping to actually have you come back on closer to the time so that we can promote it that way as well. So family, thank you for listening to The Candid Life. Thank you for all your support, my people out there in the world. Please connect with me by emailing livethecandidlife at gmail.com. That's livethecandidlife at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at Lydia Gago. Listen to the podcast on the popular platforms, including AfriPods. Subscribe, share with friends and family and people that are just in your circles of influence. And I do promise this one thing, that as they listen with open hearts and minds, they will be inspired, challenged, empowered to live differently. And with that, I just want to remind you that your story matters because you matter. So live the candid life 24-7. God bless you. Inaendeshwa na Afripods. <laughs>